You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and it's a typical day in the Pacific Northwest where wait five minutes and the weather will change. Uh, It was beautiful and sunny kind of and warmer today earlier, got really windy, and now it's raining. So it's typical winter weather in the Pacific Northwest. I'd like to welcome you to the Bose Nose Show. I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And we come to you here live from beautiful downtown Elmira every Wednesday at 4 o'clock to talk about all things Lane County or all things national world politics or we can talk about my poodles. But you can control the topic if you give me a call here at 646-721-9887. Just press 1. And that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887 and just press 1. So all sorts of things to talk about on the Bose Nose Show today. And, you know, I got sworn in on Monday. We had our swearing in and state of the county um, event Monday morning at 10 o'clock. got sworn in for my third term as a Lane County Commissioner. It's actually the uh, fourth time I've been sworn into elective office as I was sworn in um, for the uh, Lane Community College uh, Board of Education uh, way back in 2003. I, I raised my hand and sworn to uphold the Constitution of this country and this state and the laws thereof and the Lane County Charter multiple times. I always appreciate doing that. I kind of wish we would start every meeting doing that Um, because, in fact, I think it's better than the Pledge of Allegiance because really the Pledge of Allegiance is citizens pledging allegiance to their country that they created. Um, And really it should be us elected officials that should pledge at the beginning of every meeting to uphold the Constitution that the citizens created. So um, I really, really feel like that's, um, you know, really where we should be is we should be pledging um, our oath of office at the beginning of every meeting, not having the audience pledge allegiance to our country. But that's just me. Not sure if I can convince my fellow commissioners to do that at the beginning of every meeting to, to go over our oath of office but I think it would be a great reminder of who we're there to work for and what we're there to uphold. But enough about getting sworn in and all that stuff. I want to talk a little bit about the state of the county. And uh, it's, you know, as the outgoing board chair, 
I get to give the state of the county address because we haven't had a meeting yet to elect a new chair. So that's why it falls to the previous year's chair um, to do so. And I, I find it interesting because I, the Register Guard has had an editorial after the state of the city speech, and now they had an editorial after the state of the county speech. And I don't think the Register Guard understands what a state of the, you name it, is really about. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to be uh, reporting to uh, the public and the body what is the state of the organization, which means you're usually there to talk about you know, the past. You're looking back and where you are today and how well you are prepared to handle tomorrow. Not necessarily about what you're going to do tomorrow, and usually the person giving a state of the union, state of the state, state of the county, state of the city speech is one person in an elected body or one person in the, um, in the balance of power that is our um, representative uh, democracy uh, and republic that we have here. And you really can't make commitments about what's going to happen in the future because you don't have that kind of power to make those commitments. So the speeches might talk about some goals or some areas of a focus for the next year, but rarely can you say this is exactly what we are going to do about that problem. And that's sort of what the Register Guard took Mayor Venice to task about and also mentioned uh, in reviewing the state of the county speech that there wasn't enough specifics about how we were going to exactly do something. I can't say that because I'm one of five commissioners. It takes three of us to make a decision. And I can't say this is exactly how Lane County is going to do something because it takes three of us to do that. Um, so it just was kind of interesting to see the Register Guard's um, review of the state of the county. But what I can tell you is the state of Lane County is really strong. And that was the theme of my speech um, on Monday. And we got there by being really focused on strategic planning and, you know, identifying the priorities and goals of the county, developing a plan of attack and then executing that plan. And, and whether it's our, our all-encompassing countywide strategic plan or strategic plans in specific areas like our parks master plan or our community health improvement plan. Uh, we, we are developing strategic plans and trying to follow those strategic plans because one of the things that helps you do is keeps you from chasing after squirrels, you know, and, and being like your, your dog squirrel, squirrel, <laughs> and right. And you never really get anything done because you're busy chasing squirrel. <laughs> so, um, you know, that, it's a really important thing for an organization to try and stay strategic plan focused while understanding that emerging issues come up and you have to be able to continually uh, amend and that document has to be a living document because you may need to change priorities and goals as you go along. And we have done that. We're on our um, strategic plan about 4.0 now since I've been a board member. So it, it's really an important thing um, to, you know, have a set of goals and priorities, but also to understand 
that you may have to change those goals and priorities. But part of that in building a real resilient organization, which I think we've done at Lane County, and it really shows up in where we are financially. Uh, and we had our uh, budget kickoff meeting this morning with our staff. And one of the things that was reported and projected is we're projected to have a structurally balanced budget again this year without having to raise any taxes over what we already have. And with even taking into account a 24% increase in our PERS rates from the state. So that's a pretty amazing thing because in that budget presentation, they showed some graphs that went back about 10 or 15 years about things like, you know, how out of balance Lane County's budget was uh, in comparison to ongoing revenue versus ongoing expenditures and the huge gap that we inherited in 2010 at the end of the secure rural schools uh, program from, you know, the previous um, board and all, you know, when I became a commissioner. And we, we, we went from that huge gap and all the cuts we had to make and, and the crisis we were in financially when I first became a commissioner. And that was part of the theme of my speech was, you know, when I first came on, I had to make a 20% cut in our first budget year. We had to reduce our jail beds down to 125 local jail beds. And we were bleeding money. And we managed to make some changes, manage that strategic plan to where today we have this structurally balanced budget. We've got over 300 local jail beds. We brought back and, um, and our youth treatment and detention capacity. Yeah, and we're getting some really good things done in Lane County. And we've done all this you know, through very careful planning, you know, bringing in experts where needed, uh, soliciting local stakeholder input, and then developing plans and following plans. And, and it's really an amazing success story, you know, where we've been able to take our healthcare costs, which were exploding, you know, double-digit inflation in our insurance premium costs, in our, in our health insurance costs for our employees. In fact, 20% uh, annual at one point. And we were able to take that horribly broken system with over 20 different health insurance programs we were providing for our employees, 20 different options. And we were able to, to negotiate with our our seven different bargaining units and get that down to three common plans. We we're able to, to start an employee wellness program and open an employee health clinic and then go to self-insurance to where we're saving millions of dollars annually. And once again, in this year's budget, we're not budgeting for any increase in our health benefit costs on a per employee basis. That's the third year in a row we've done that. Name me one other organization, public or private, that can say that. And on top of that, because we've implemented a wellness program and an employee health clinic and become so focused on wellness, we were ranked the number one healthiest public employer 
in Oregon for two years in a row. And this year, we broke into the top 100 healthiest employers nationally at number 40. Pretty amazing turnaround from where we were in 2011, where we were bleeding money out the door in health insurance costs and employee health benefits to where we've gotten it so under control that we're not budgeting for increases or in our budget assumptions this year. So, you know, that's, that's part of that story, that amazing recovery. The Secretary of State, after we had to make all those budget cuts and just looking at our finances, back when Kate Brown was Secretary of State, put Lane County on a list of counties that were in danger of financial collapse. You know, that, that we were on a watch list they were concerned we were going to go bankrupt. And we did those things with our health insurance. We did other places where we started controlling costs and looking at how we could improve systems. And, and uh, we, we got rid of a lot of our um, uh, management, you know, where we were top heavy in places. We did all sorts of efficiency improvements. We worked with um, our financial staff and at the recommendations of some of our bond rating agencies and our auditors, we utilized one-time monies to pay down debt and, and, and uh, work our, our reserves up a bit to where today, after at one time being on this financial collapse watch list, Today, Lane County has the highest bond rating we've ever had in history. That's a pretty amazing thing to go from you're going, you're potentially going bankrupt Lane County to now the folks that recommend um, for Wall Street investors investing in municipal bond, municipal bonds and uh, government bonds we have the highest ranking that Lane County's ever had because we're that financially stable. That's a pretty amazing story, which puts us in a place where if there's a need or a change in the economy, we're, we have the resilience now. We've built our reserves up in our, in our general fund from where at one point we were actually reaching below 10% to we're at the 20% that the bond agencies really think you have to have. So it, we've really, it's been an amazing turnaround financially for Lane County. And at the same time we've made that turnaround, we've made some amazing progress in some areas. We've, we've done some great work in equity and access. We've done some great work in providing services for um, low-income folks, and also in trying to um, help the homeless. You know, it, it just, you know, we established a new parks master plan that hadn't been done in over 30 years. We've done some great work in efficiencies in our solid waste uh, program. We're doing great work in our road maintenance side. It's just, um, there's, it's just as, it's just a success story over the last eight years that I've been a commissioner. And that's really what the state of Lane County is. We're strong and we're ready to take on, you know, new challenges 
including the challenge of providing an adequate court facility for this county, which our current one is woefully lacking. And I talked about in our in the last Bo's Nose show. So if you want to hear about the courthouse, go back and listen to last week's show. But the state of Lane County is strong. And when we look at the budget projections for this year, we're, you know, right in there. Now we're, we're not flush. We don't have room to expand any programs. You know, if we decide we want to expand a program in one place, we're going to have to find cost savings or cuts somewhere else to fund it. You know, so we're, we're not where we can, um, you know, and, and service level wise, you know, we're still below where we were prior to me coming on the board because the board was financing services with reserves. So, um, you know, we're still below the service level that um, we really should be at in, in many areas and protect, particularly one of the worst areas is in rural patrol and uh, in, in the sheriff's department. But, you know, if we find a way to fund sheriffs, that means we also got to find a way to fund more DA staff to process the crimes those folks make arrests for. And it also means we have to find a place for those folks to sit, which in the current courthouse, the DA is actually out of room and um, has uh, uh, one area that rotates um, who can sit at certain times, literally. They've got you know, investigators using a single workstation so where they have a, a rotating in the office sort of situation so they can take turns at who gets, who gets the desk. It's that bad, um, but it, it's really pretty an amazing story. Lane County and the state of the county is strong, and hopefully we can stay that way. Which leads me to my next topic that I I kind of promote, and that's sort of you know where are we going from here? Um, and we swore in two new commissioners with me on. Monday, and those commissioners, you know, were well advertised as, and, and one of the uh, campaign um, get out the vote issues was to try and change the quote majority of the board from a more conservative majority, which I would argue we weren't all that conservative, to a more progressive slash liberal majority. So um, we. We swore in the two new commissioners, um, Commissioner Joe Burney from Springfield and Commissioner Heather Buck, who's representing East Lane County. And um, that kind of changed the makeup of the board a little bit as Commissioner um, Lichen and uh, Commissioner Williams, uh, you know, got defeated in their uh, re-election or election attempts. And uh, so it kind of changed the makeup of the boards. So there's now a majority sort of made up of commissioners Sorensen, Bernie, and Buck uh, that forms kind of this progressive uh, leaning, I would say. I wouldn't say completely progressive because I actually think um, Commissioner Buck is somewhere in the more in the middle of the pack. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how that that new uh, progressive leaning majority where it takes the board. And one of the first results was a, a change in the board chairmanship and vice chairmanship um, where uh, the board chair is now Commissioner Sorensen 
and the board vice chair is now Commissioner Buck. Uh, and that was a, a pretty drastic change in leadership because Pete, even though we had asked him if he wanted to rotate in as a term, in, in a term as vice chair and chair over the last eight years, he declined us politely each time because he felt he wasn't part of the board majority and didn't want to chair a meeting that he wasn't um, going to be able to vote with the majority regularly. And and um, uh, it was so he hasn't participated in board leadership for eight years, and now he is the chair. So it was that was a pretty major change in the board that happened, and uh, it was interesting because it really changed how the board meetings run in some ways. Um, I'd, I'd like to say one of the things I'm proud of as chair is I ran a good meeting and tried to run a, a, the most efficient meeting possible um, to get things done, to make sure I didn't overuse staff time. And uh, yesterday's meeting was kind of a, uh, uh, you know, really disjointed uh, meeting where we had to jump around the agenda. Uh, we ran over time in the morning and into the lunch hour. We came back unscheduled at 1.30 to try and finish up the morning stuff, ran right up to almost into our 3.30 um, portion of our meeting that was a time certain with the legislators, and then had to come back to finish our agenda past 5 o'clock last night um, to actually get through the entire advertised agenda for the day. And uh, it was really um, interesting watching that play out. But I'm no longer uh, at the wheel, so to speak, and steering the uh, the bus. And I get I get to sit in the back and um, you know, <laughs> hopefully, you know, I, it, it won't I won't be in the back as as we have an accident or something like that. But I am I it's it's interesting watching. Uh, um, maybe the bus get driven a, a lot slower and uh, 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 stopping more often to uh, look to ask for directions than, than it did before, um, which kind of, you know, will be interesting to see how that plays out over over time. Uh, if our board meetings continue to be really lengthy and not as efficient, we probably won't get to as many agenda items as we have in the past, which means, um, as folks want us to try and get things done, we might move a lot, lot slower and not be as, as nimble as we have been over the last several years. So uh, going to be interesting with the new board. What was also interesting is we finally got around to what a section of commissioner's business where commissioners can ask for stuff to be placed on future agendas if they can get a quorum of the board to agree with them that it's an item that um, that we want to uh, have uh, the the board uh, discuss. So uh, when we got to that portion, I had a couple of um, items that I would consider to be kind of typical items that we've. Um, you know, weighed in on before the board, you know, where I got a letter from a, from a 
constituent asking us to provide support for um, uh, a bill that's going to go before Congress on a tribal reinstatement issue, and I asked to have that um, made a future agenda item for us to consider whether we want to support that or not. And then I also asked to have a future discussion on local access roads, which we'll talk about a little bit later, probably in the program, and uh, got board support, unanimous board support to have discussions on both those items. Well, it got to Commissioner Sorensen's turn to propose future agenda items, and it was a little bit different because he basically handed out a report from a private party on on the effects of climate change and asked to have a agenda item on the economic impact of climate change on Lane County. Um, didn't get unanimous support to be an agenda item, but did get the three head nods. Um, so we are going to be talking about climate change in the future in, in, and how it impacts Lane County and not so much sure how much control the board commissioners has over that issue and uh, how much changes in any of our policies will impact the carbon footprint of Lane County. Um, but we are apparently going to spend some time in a future meeting talking about it. So if that gives you an idea of where we might be going in Lane County uh, with the new board, you know, based on what they're asking to discuss, that's uh, there's an idea for you of where, where we might be going. And I was trying to flip to a, um, some of my notes so I could remember exactly what the other item was that we asked to discuss, um, but it was of a similar bent. So it's going to be pretty interesting um, as we get to some of those uh, future agenda items of what, what the new majority wants to talk about and whether that's going to further the strength of Lane County in handling what our current services requirements are and keeping our current service levels in place versus trying to come up with some you know new places for us to start governing. And, and um, like I said, if we're going to do something new, we're going to have to find something old to cut out to, to make room for it in our budget, or they're going to have to find a new revenue stream. So just kind of keep that in the back of your head right there. So those are a couple things I have on my mind. I would, anything that's on your mind, we're happy to change the subject here on the Bose Nose Show. Just give us a call at 646-721-9887 and just press one if you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887 and just press one. So I do want to get to talking about local access roads and maintenance because we do have one over on the coast that, that's failing that um, some citizens are pretty concerned about and that was one of the items I asked about. But before we get there, I want to give out our weekly What Were They Thinking Award on the Bo's Nose Show. And I uh, came across an article, and in, in particular, I am very knowledgeable about this because I was a registered professional engineer in the state of Oregon 
and under the jurisdiction of the um, Oregon Board of Engineering Examiners and uh, Licensed Surveyors, or what they call Ozbills. Um, and it's that board that um, I am giving the what were they thinking award to because they are questioning um, former gubernatorial candidate Alan Alley over the fact that he mentioned in his campaign uh, literature and some of his campaign talks about how he was an engineer and a problem solver. And their objection to him using the term you know, that he was an engineer is that he was never a registered professional engineer licensed to practice in this state. Well, that's true, but he does have a degree in engineering from Purdue University and actually worked as an engineer in other states and um, has several engineering awards and has patents actually to his name in uh, electronics that he's designed. And uh, yes, he is an engineering person and his statement wasn't soliciting engineering services or trying to, um, you know, basically um, submit expert testimony as an engineer or trying to sign documents as an engineer certifying that they've been engineers in the state, which is what really that board governs. You know, if you um, practice engineering without a license in the state, they will go after you. Because, you know, it, you really should have the education, have passed the exams, and, you know, you don't just become a professional engineer. You actually have to work in the field for four or five years under the supervision of a professional engineer before you can sit and take the final exam to, to become an engineer. Um, it's it's you know, kind of like a doctor. You got to go through residency and all that stuff or, you know, or a lawyer that passes the bar. And you don't want folks um, that aren't qualified um, doing work as an engineer. And that's kind of what Osfield's task is to prevent people from uh, working as an engineer. So uh, hopefully my mic isn't muffled anymore. Are we okay there? Are we good? You're good. Okay. Sorry, I think I might have set my pad of paper where it muffled my microphone. Folks weren't hearing that. Um, <laughs> but I was talking about professional engineers and the practice of engineering. And really the the issue when you somebody calls themselves an engineer and when you get in trouble with the law is when you do it to actually practice that in the state for compensation or submit it as as being an expert in that and um, and and try and gain uh, financially by by claiming you're an engineer. Um, in some ways, and really all that Alan Alley was doing during his campaign was trying to let people know what his style was and that he was an engineer and a problem solver. And because he used the word engineer, the state wanted to come after him for, you know, for quote, practicing engineering in the state without a license. <laughs> what are they thinking? Now, mind you, 
this is after the same board of engineering examiners was slapped down by a federal court for going after somebody that mentioned he was an engineer or um, helping his wife in a red light traffic ticket situation where they claimed he was trying to practice engineering by helping his wife out in a court case of putting together, you know, going through the mathematics of the red light um, uh, camera situation. And uh, they tried to go after him. And the, and the federal court said, not only was that not practicing engineering, but you really can't stop somebody from, um, sorry about that, folks. I thought I had my phone on quiet. Uh, <laughs> You really can't stop somebody from calling themselves an engineer because it's a violation of their free speech rights, and it's federally unconstitutional. So they went after or started questioning Alan Alley after having the federal government tell them they can't tell people that they can't mention they're an engineer in another case. So what part of the Constitution does the Oregon State Board of Engineering Examiners and Land Surveyors not understand free speech and the ability of somebody to say, I'm an engineer and, and I've let my license lapse, but I still refer to myself as an engineer. I don't try and practice engineering. I won't let anybody retain me for work for engineering. I won't sign any drawings. I won't try and claim and go into court and, and do expert testimony as an engineer. But what were they thinking? And it's funny how many of my what were they thinkings end up going to the state of Oregon in some manner or fashion. But <laughs> what were they thinking at the Oregon State Board of Engineering Examiners and Land Surveyors when they started questioning whether Alan Alley could actually say, I, I'm an engineer and I'm a problem solver in his campaign for governor. Really? Really? With everything else you've got to worry about, you know, in, in the engineering world and whether somebody you know, might have designed a building that fell down or some other, you know, major issue that you have to worry about, you're going after somebody about what they said in the campaign, which is true. Alan Alley has a degree in engineering, practiced as an engineer for a long time. The fact that he's no longer um, doing that and he never was licensed in the state, does that still mean he's not an engineer by training and not a problem solver? And he doesn't have the free speech right to say that? Come on, Oregon. <laughs> what were you thinking? Oh, my. But uh, that was my what were they thinking today. You don't have one, do you, Robin? Uh, no. No. No? Okay. <laughs> I think that one's a pretty good one because I just it just amazes me sometimes. And and I I kind of wonder if a Democrat had said they were an engineer during a campaign, would they have asked them about it? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> kind of wondering. Oh, well. Um, but we all never know. So um, I want to talk a little bit about local access roads. 
because this speaks a little bit to, you know, the whole Lane County finances and what we inherited back in 2011 when I came on the board and what happened ahead of that. Because one of the things that, you know, folks, if you're new to the area, may not understand is some of the history of what happened to county governments in southwestern Oregon. And county governments in southwestern Oregon used to obtain a majority of their revenues from the timber industry through harvest on federal lands that the receipts were shared by the federal government with the local county governments. And it was a huge source of revenue. In fact, in today's dollars, it was well over $100 million that Lane County used to collect annually from timber federal timber receipts. That all collapsed back with the Spotted Owl. And then there was, you know, timber replacement payments made, and then there was the Secure Rural Schools Act. That finally ended, was tapered down and ended right as I came on the Board of Commissioners. And that's one of the reasons why I inherited such a huge deficit that I had to had to close in my first year. But that history of those timber payments and decline in that back before I became a commissioner, there was they were you know, Lane County has been in a progressive downward spiral and making cuts to services for years since the Spotted Owl decision started, stopped a lot of timber harvests. And um, that's really been what's happening. So as part of those decisions, before I ever became a board of commission, on the board of commissioners, back when we had that $100 million a year in today's dollars, we used to maintain roads that that served, you know, three or four houses in Lane County called local access roads. And there were roads probably that wouldn't have normally been maintained by a public entity. They would have been considered private roads. Well, somewhere back in, you know, before Jay, in the 90s, the Board of Commissioners made a decision to stop maintaining local access roads. And they were clearly defined as local access roads, then there's minor collectors, then there's major collectors, and then there's minor arterials, major arterials, um, and highways, um, as you think about road classifications. So local access roads are not even a minor collector in considered road classification. They're just that. They're meant to access just a few residences or a few businesses. Um, quite often they were built by private developers years ago, not to county standards, and um, really can be, you know, they, a lot of them are gravel, and uh, they're just out there. But somewhere back then, the Board of Commissioners made a decision that we no longer have the federal uh, money coming in from the U.S. Forest Service into our road fund so we are going to stop maintaining local access roads, and it's going to be the responsibility of the property owners that live and use, live on and use those roads. And I live in rural Lane County. I live on a local access road called Fir Grove Lane. Uh, once you get away from where it, ser- where it comes into the high school and, and ends the county maintenance, there's a big sign right where 
you turn off of it on the gravel that says end county maintenance from there on back into the um, 15 or so houses that are off of it um, back where I live we all chip in once a year to buy gravel and have it put down and one of our local residents has a tractor with a drag blade on it and he goes up and down the road now and then and uh, maintains it and fills in the potholes and that's how the road gets maintained is with the, the us group of um, property owners kind of all you know taking you know we all chip in um, you know 100 bucks or something like that we buy a couple loads of gravel and they spread it out and smooth it out and you know that's the way it's maintained well that works pretty well maybe for some of these small you know gravel roads you know and my particular gravel road is is fairly level so it doesn't require a whole lot of maintenance i don't have any we don't have any big culverts under it so much although we did have to replace the culvert in front of my house not too long ago um it, it's uh you know, just kind of the way things are now out in the country. We have these local roads that we're all privately maintaining, even though they're publicly accessible and and a, and a you know, in quote, county right of way. Um, sometimes they're not even in county right of way because um, Fir Grove Lane kind of goes in and out of county dedication, county dedicated right of way. But there's other ones. Like on the coast, there's one called Collard Lake Road that leads to a lot more than 15 houses. And it was a paved road and maintained by the county at one time. And in fact, even got a special dispensation from the board after they stopped maintenance where they spent some money on a special project to repair some damage to it at one point. And apparently Collard Lake Road, um, you know, used to have a secondary outlet but if you remember back a few years back there was a real heavy winter of rains there was a big landslide that actually caused a fatality and that secondary access um, from that neighborhood got wiped out in that landslide and that road never got rebuilt and then collard lake so collard lake road is the only road in and out for these folks and in this last windstorm, a cedar tree fell over and knocked and took out a part of the roadway with it. You know, it was on the downhill side of the road and the roots yanked out a big hole in the edge of the road. So those folks are kind of a little bit panicked because they're worried that erosion is going to actually start moving that, that hole across the roadway and eventually they won't be able to get up and down the road, which kind of brings up the question of, now that we have some additional revenue from House Bill 2017, which doesn't come anywhere close to replacing the revenue we lost from the end of secure rural schools. I mean, by the time House Bill 2017 is fully implemented, we'll be getting about $8 million in new funds into our road fund a year where secure rural schools used to put almost $20 million into our road fund. But we are getting some additional money into our road fund so maybe there needs to be a, a conversation about it, you know, do we, does the county perform emergency work on local access roads to maintain access to um, one, one road in and out type situations like Collard Lake Road? Is there a number of residences on a road that should change um, 
whether or not um, we should ma be maintaining that road. You know, is, is there a policy change we might be able to make? You know, because I'm I'm pretty sure I don't think Fir Grove Lane here that comes to my house is at the level of of criticality that 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 deserves it coming back into county maintenance. But Collard, the folks on off of Collard Lake Road might be able to kind of make a better, stronger case for that, at least till it gets up to where maybe the first intersection is and there gets to be more than one way to get around uh, up there. Um, so, you know, that discussion might be coming before the Board of Commissioners someday, but it kind of speaks to the whole issue of, you know, just what happened to local funding when we stopped cutting timber in our federal forests. And, and you know, we've talked on the Bose Nose Show about fire and, and federal policy around fire fighting and, and all what's happened there and how unresilient the fire our federal forests have become and just uh, some issues around that. So it kind of gets to you know, if, if we really want to start getting some of these services rebuilt, maybe we should start thinking about how we're dealing with federal monies, which gets to another question that kind of came up uh, with the new board majority is whether Lane County should stay um, engaged with the ONC, Oregon and California Railroad Lands County Organization. And it's really... Um, the one organization that lobbies on behalf of us counties in southwestern Oregon, basically, that are part of these old uh, ONC railroad lands that got turned over to the counties that got made, that got federalized um, back uh, last, you know, 100 years ago, basically, and were set aside to be harvested for timber for the benefit of the counties. And uh, there is a major bill being proposed that's that's bipartisan by senator ron wyden uh, from oregon and senator crapo from idaho that is going to look at how to um, kind of compensate for that loss of of timber revenues back to the counties and also maybe how to get back to a little bit higher level harvest so it brings back some of the the jobs and the mills in some of the areas that have lost their mills. Um, when you look at, you know, what's happened down in uh, Josephine County um, in in Oregon, where they've lost their only the last of their timber mills because there's no logs coming off the federal land in Josephine County in that area. So uh, this bill's being drafted, and the ONC counties associations at the table with the senators helping um, mold the language of the bill. And I think it would be a mistake for Lane County not to be part of the organization that's at the table talking about how that bill gets drafted. So it'll, it'll be uh, really interesting. But as we look at that, you know, that's one place where we may be able to get back to some of the service levels we wanted before. But if you if you you know really if you're new to Lane County and want to understand why maybe you can't get a 
sheriff's deputy to come out to your place uh, after somebody stole your your lawn tractor out of your garden shed um, you know that that's uh that this is where it started and and timber money and the dependency on timber money because what happened was there were some property tax um, limitation measures passed while some of these counties still had a lot of timber money and it locked these counties into abnormally low local revenue sources and and where we just don't have the ability to fund uh, a robust um, police presence in our rural um, county and it's really it's sad because it leads to um, folks you know being able to get away with crime to a point to where they don't get stopped at low-level crime they become professional criminals and they become felons and next thing you know they finally rise to the level of the attention where they actually do get arrested and um, tried and sentenced and they end up in prison instead of in some kind of early diversion program that a minor offender might end up in dealing with um, the addiction or mental health or whatever issues that was driving their criminality. So it's really, you know, hurts in a lot of ways. It hurts the victims of those folks. It hurts the, the, the actual perpetrators that become so criminal um, and in their behaviors before they're actually arrested. And it hurts us as a society because it, it's much more expensive to deal with them that way in the long run. There's actually a return on investment of, of you know, getting to those people early in their career and diverting them and treating them versus what it cost us to actually imprison them and warehouse them. You know, so it's, it's uh, you know, there's actually, a, a, it's actually cheaper to do the other, but we don't have the resources to do the other necessarily because it, there's an upfront cost in it in, in police services, in DA staff, in court facilities and um, treatment costs, all that's, you know, kind of an upfront that that will start turning off the tap on the back end, which is not having to build a new prison, not having to, you know, maybe even be able to shutter prisons in the future. Um, and then also having these people return to work and become productive in society um, is a huge difference. You know, having somebody become a taxpayer versus somebody you're paying to house in a prison cell is, you know, a huge turnaround on what it costs government. So got about 10 minutes left in the Bose Nose show here. I want to remind folks that you can change the conversation here at any time, 646-721-9887. Just press one and that lets us know you want to get in on the conversation. Uh, again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one because that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, um, do live on Collard Lake Road that have have um, contacted me. I have asked the board to, to bring up the local access road situation, and I've also asked Public Works to look at um, – bringing an emergency item before the board to make an exception uh, possibly to our rules on funding repairs of local access roads. 
Um, it will be up to the new board leadership to see how quickly they can get that in front of the board. Because I know you're being told by public works folks that, that it will take a board action to um, change the policy around maintenance of local access roads. So if you live on Collard Lake Road or Collard Lake Way or one of the other um, private roads that comes off of Collard Lake Road and you're concerned about that hole where the cedar tree fell down, I hope we'll, we'll get to a resolution soon. But um, might, you know, want to include um, Chair Pete Sorensen in future contacts um, so he understands the urgency around that issue. So um, I, I just have to say, getting to some national issues, I am probably one of, uh, even though I am a political wonk and all that, I just could not watch TV last night. <laughs> And I don't know about you, Robin, but I, I just I am so tired of uh, the shutdown and the posturing and everything else. I couldn't watch either the president or um, the speaker or the Senate minority leader talks last night. I just I'm 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 beyond it. <laughs> and I kind of wonder if folks out there in, in my listenership if any of you guys did watch it, if you have any um, uh, comments or uh, thoughts on that, be interesting because I did not. So you're not going to hear uh, Commissioner Bozovich opine on on you know President Trump's uh, speech trying to justify the wall or uh, Speaker Pelosi's and uh, Minority uh, Leader Schumer's uh, reasons for not funding the wall. So, what's up, Robin? I can't hear you, Robin. Okay. Apologize to the uh, listeners as we're trying a new system here. Hopefully it works. Okay. I can hear you now. All righty. And hopefully without an echo. No echo. No echo. Yay, no echo. Now, the, the other thing that reminded me of Nancy and Schumer last night is if the lights were too hot, they would have melted. All right, I was trying not to get personal or make any ad hominem attacks here. <laughs> I, I am Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I didn't see it, so I can't make that comment. But, you know, one of the things, you know, it's it's funny because, um, you know, the Register Guard's trying, to, trying this new thing where they've got some online commentation going on with some various people, and they had a um, – guest editorial by the guy that's supposedly the conservative talking about how he wants to get back to a civil dialogue. And that generated a bunch of letters, to the editor kind of attacking him over how uncivil our president is. And all I could think is, and of course they, they, they're like, their stance was we'll be civil when he's civil or something like that. It's like, it's kind of ridiculous because one of the things I, you, and I've told other people is I can't be responsible for what he does. You know, I can only be responsible for what I do, and you can only be responsible for what you do. So if we can all, you know, take personal responsibility to be civil in our discourse, maybe that will change things in this country. You know, and if the president continues to be uncivil, just, you know, we have to say we can't change him. 
we can we can you know maybe say we don't like him being that way, but that doesn't justify our incivility. We have to be civil in our discourse in this country, and the only people you can control about that civility is yourself. And it gets back to the selfishness as a virtue thing we talked about a few weeks back. Um, so if you want civil discourse in politics. Look in the mirror first. Are you being civil? And 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 you know you can call people out for being uncivil, but you do it in a way that's polite. Ask them to be civil, but mostly take responsibility for your own interactions. So I, I'll kind of call you on it there, Robin. We don't really want to get you know into that ad hominem personal side. We should be talking about the policy, not the messenger. But one thing I do miss, though, is to be able to have a discussion and still be friends with that person afterwards. Yeah, and that's part of what goes on, and, and, and we should be able to. You know, I, I don't unfriend people because I object to their political opinions. I, I might unfriend you if you're uncivil about right. political opinions. I'm always open to... I'm not saying I'm always right. Give me your opinion and hopefully and back with me too is give me the facts to back it up. What's your source? Yeah. 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 I like, you know, let's talk, let's talk about the policy and the issues. Let's not talk about the people and the personalities. And that, that that gets you in a a good place to start with. And the other thing is assume that the person you're disagreeing with holds their opinion because they think it's what's good and best. Right. You know, for that particular policy issue. And that allows you to have a, a more open conversation. As soon as you start, you know, dismissing somebody's opinion because you think they're either ignorant of the facts, they're stupid, or they have evil intent, you know, whatever it is you're, you're assigning to them in that way, it closes your mind to listening to them in any, and, and then having a, a civil response to them in a lot of ways. So it's, you know, self-discipline and, civic and being civil is really important. Well, I have to do that myself sometimes because, you know, it's, it's sometimes, you know, as, as I'm dealing with a new majority on the board, I am going to have to discipline myself to stay civil at times because sometimes they're going to get into matters that I feel are really not um, pertinent to Lane County and distracting us from doing the good work of Lane County and building on our strength, as as I talked about in the state of the county speech. And I am going to have to try and make those um, comments in a civil matter in the future and be self-disciplined about that. Well, starting to hear the music come on, which means we're towards the end of another Bose Nose show here uh, on, on, on paper and news radio and i want to thank everybody for listening and we'll be back next week with another edition of the bose nose show i'm glad you listened give us a call next week because i want to talk about what you want to talk about have a great week talk to you next wednesday 4 p.m sharp